Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast when a couple of pastor scholars dig into the Word of God using a seasonally appropriate scripture passage drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. We hope that it will be enjoyable and edifying for all and equipping for pastors or teachers that are working on sermons or lessons in the upcoming weeks. I'm your host, John Drury. I teach systematic theology and spiritual formation for Wesley Seminary at Indiana Wesleyan University. My guest this week is Luigi Peñaranda. He's an associate professor of leadership and of multi-ethnic ministries, and he is an excellent exegete and pastor and preacher and one of my dear friends, and I always look forward to studying the scriptures with him. Our text this week is Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 through 32. Genesis 32, 22 through 32. Make sure to subscribe if you're not already so you never miss an episode. And as you're listening, if you enjoy the show, hit the share button on your podcast player app of choice. Pass this show along to others so that they may benefit as well. And when you're there in the show notes, you'll see there's a little link if you want to support the show uh, financially uh, just to help out the production staff and the work that they do. I don't see a penny of that. That's just to help out the team who does so much great work behind the scenes. So thanks for listening and enjoy this conversation with Luigi. So I'm here with uh, Luigi Peñaranda, and we're looking at Genesis chapter 32, uh, verses uh, 22 through, I think the end, 32, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Genesis 32, 22 through 32. Would you be willing to read the passage, Luigi, and then I'll say a word of prayer? Absolutely. Awesome. The same night he got up and took his two wives his two maids and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and likewise everything that he had. Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint, and he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then the man said, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. The sun rose upon him, and he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the thigh muscle that is on the hip socket because he struck Jacob on the hip socket at the thigh muscle. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. 
Father, we give you thanks uh, for your word, your word by which you created all things, and your word by which you introduced yourself to Abraham, to his son Isaac, and to Isaac's son Jacob, and the way your spirit has guided your people, the very people of Jacob, the the house of Israel, uh, to preserve these stories in written word as your word for us as well. And so we ask in the name of your son, Jesus, who is the very word of God incarnate, that the eyes and ears of all those listening in, as well as Luigi and I, that all our eyes and ears would be opened by your spirit to receive the word of God afresh in this hour. We ask you this because we believe that the word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. And so we entrust ourselves to you and the power of your word to be living and working among us, even as we study these ancient words. May the very word of God be moving in us all, even this very hour. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. So what's, uh, what's grabbing you today? What's, uh, what's striking you in this always striking story? Yes. To be honest with you, uh, you and I had talked about discussing this passage a while back. Uh, and I remember back then going back and reading it and uh, just just being so excited about the, the, the passage and what's going on in it. And since then, a lot of time has happened. And I had not read this passage again until this morning. And it, it gave me this interesting sense of reading the passage again, but now understanding Jacob in a place of transition. The whole narrative around this passage is Jacob going back to his uh, homeland, knowing that he is going to encounter Esau, whom he has uh uh, he has betrayed and he has been deceitful to him. And, and he knows that Esau has, uh, has had anger towards him. He's been living away. Now he's coming back with his family. And what, is, what hit me this morning when I read the passage was uh, seeing Jacob orchestrating a parade back home in case Esau comes and he's angry and he's, he's going to come after him. And he organizes his family uh, uh, in, in different segments that are going to be marching in front of him. Uh, but the image that, uh, that I saw is, is Jacob protecting himself, creating this um, orchestrated parade to appease Esau that's coming after him. And it is in the midst of all this manipulation, if you will, of, of how to have a re-encounter with Esau, that he has an encounter with, with the man in the middle of the night. So, so to me, it's very saying, very symbolic that while Jacob is plotting his way back into the land, the promised land, knowing that he's about to encounter his brother, 
and he's going to have a face-to-face encounter with probably the anger of his brother. In the midst of this, he has he has a night where he has to struggle with this this man that eventually will bless him. So the first thing, John, that 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 I saw afresh was the background of Jacob working things for his own benefit, uh, but having to face a reality in the midst of all of that with this encounter with this man. Yeah, wow, that image of the parade and the self-protection, you know, not not of him out in front leading a parade, but he's it says in the previous chapter that he that he sent forth, you know, in groups of what, I think it was 50s of animals and some are gifts. Some are also demonstrations of his wealth. Uh, so there's parades, a nice word because it's both there's a, there's a giving of gifts, but also a, a sort of a display of his right. economic prowess. If not, if not in a sort of more military sense, um, although that would be implied if you have all this stuff, you probably have some men on horses too. And of course, when we eventually do see Esau in the following chapter, just to do after context, you know, he's got like, you know, a couple hundred riders with him. So like, he's got <laughs> right. this kind of like, which would fit the kind of manly man Esau that he would have a bunch of, um, they've both kind of developed on a trajectory that fits the way we first met them with, with Jacob being a shepherd and hanging out in the tents with the women and, right. and, and, Esau being this hunter out in the fields. And here you kind of have the, uh, the more adult version of that is Esau as a leader of, of mighty men and Jacob as a man with a bunch of kids and a, and a whole lot of livestock, you know, <laughs> and a <laughs> yes. very domestic, uh, a head of a domestic household. And so like you pointed out, he sends that parade ahead, but of course keeps his family with him. So at first it looks like, okay, he's protecting his family. And often, I mean, I know how a lot of times I will engage in self-protection mm-hmm. under the pretext that I'm protecting my family, right? This happens so much. We fall into this all the time, you know, like the thing, the, the violence and, and inequities that we will justify in the name of, for the sake of my kids, right? Um, <laughs> for the sake sure. of my family. Um, sure. But, you know, in a way they're, clearly just an extension of him. And when, when he, when he gets to the limit of his fear, he then sends them across and they're all, they end up being part of the parade. That's right. And so then this self-protection leads to isolation, Mm -hmm. which then sets him up for uh, a different kind of face-to-face encounter that he couldn't, it turns out he could not protect himself from. Right. Although it doesn't say where this man came from, which is just wild, you know? It's a fascinating story uh, because even as you read the, the, the context that we just discussed and the after context that you mentioned, it's almost like the story could have gone without this section. It was just a narrative. By, but by embedding this story in the middle, yeah. uh, you have this, this almost storytelling way of saying, but that night something is going to happen, right? And it is this uh, uh, phenomenal way of telling the story in which Jacob, who 
who is really striving for self-preservation. And, and yes, he's protecting his family. Uh, he arranges his uh, wives with different kids. And just in case there's a problem, he can flee with the other ones. But ultimately, uh, his family has been dysfunctional. There's all these issues. And at the end of the day, he, he's been trying to preserve his life. He's cheated Laban. He's done all kinds of things to, in a sense, bless himself. Uh, mm-hmm. But the way the story is being told is, but that night, he is going to have to wrestle and to wrestle with a, a dimension of his own issues that, that he's never had to deal with before. He's, he's wrestled in the past with his brother, with his circumstances, with uh, the way in which he can advance in his own life, the production of uh, sustenance and survival and livelihood. He's wrestled with so many things, being cheated, taking advantage of. Uh, but on this night, uh, he's going to struggle. He's going to wrestle with all of those issues at once uh, in a different way. Yeah, I can't help but almost take that. Again, it doesn't say where the man comes from, but it's hard for me not to use the sort of theologically loaded imagery of from above, right? So it's like, <laughs> uh, or horizontal and vertical as it were, right? Again, it doesn't say the man comes, but it, at, on this horizontal plane, right? His relations with everybody else, he's always mastering everything. Mm-hmm. And, and it's clear from the larger narrative context, both in terms of the context of all of Genesis, in terms of the picture of God as this creator and provider and judge, clearly God is in that. Mm-hmm. And furthermore, specifically in the Jacob story, it's quite clear that, that God is with him and blessing him. It's not just characters who've said that. God himself has said that, that he will be with him and protect him and everything. But again, that was like 20 years before this in, in the encounter in chapter 28 at Bethel. So on the horizontal plane, it's like God's helping him out. He's always struggling and winning. <laughs> and here you get him sort of coming back home, which was the promise back in Bethel, right? I will bring you back here. I'll be with you and fulfill the promise to bring you back and to be reconciled, you know, with his family. And he does everything he can on the horizontal plane to manipulate, to reconcile, to put it more positively, right? So there's kind of a negative and positive spin, <laughs> right? Sure. Yeah. There are both, there's truth in both. And to protect, and it draws him into this place of total isolation, which weirdly opens himself, makes him, he ends up, even though he's protecting, his acts of self-protection lead to a kind of vulnerability, because there Mm -hmm. he is alone, to be encountered, you know, as it were from above, right? This kind of vertical encounter with God, there's no way to protect himself from that. (laughs) And as we saw back in 28, you know, it's possible this was, this would have been two weeks before in the podcast with Amanda, but you know, 20 years before in terms of his experience, Mm -hmm. uh, that the 20, maybe more, more, maybe more than 20, I don't know, 11 sons, although from four different women that anyway, 20 plus years, um, before, it's possible to interpret uh, because it's an ambiguous pronoun 
whether God is at the top of the staircase or down on the ground face to face with Jacob. Mm -hmm. And either way, the content of his words were clear. I will be with you, right? There's no scene of him leaving, right? He's with him. It's more like the end of Matthew 11 of Matthew than it is the end of Luke and beginning of Acts. It's not a leaving. It's I'm with you. And so you almost get the sense, I don't know, this is a crazy thought that I hadn't had until just right now. So tell me what you think of it, if it's way off. It's almost as if this dark figure of Adonai has been there all along, but sort of crowded out by all the blessing, which precisely comes from him. And it's not until he separates himself from all the blessings, though with self-protective intent, that there's kind of this unintended that, that solitude, isolation, again, bad spin, isolation, good spin, solitude opens him up for an encounter with the God who was already, always already there. You know, it mm-hmm. wasn't like, it's not like God has been gone from him for 20 years, though God has not been speaking, at least in mm-hmm. the narrative. Is yes. that resonating at all? Or is I'm just, yeah. am I just making stuff up now? <laughs> no, no. I, I mean, I, I think, I think there's, there's many levels of readings that can happen. And I love the one that, that you bring to our attention, which is uh, the ever-present blessing of God upon Jacob's life. He is fulfilling his own promise to Abraham, Isaac, and now Jacob. Uh, and he is being that God, God of ancestors, but the God that be, will be with you. And, and I love that kind of reading of the text because then it, it helps us see the fingerprints of God ever present in all the blessings. And even in the misguided efforts of Jacob, there's a blessing of God uh, pairing up. But there's also that, that the way of reading the text when, when you just kind of follow slowly the, the narrative. And the first thing that we see is an encounter with a man. And it is interesting that, that in terms That's of I, I, yeah. identity... There, there's not a clear identity reveal. At the end, we're gonna we're we're gonna get this idea that that oh shoot, I had an encounter with God. But in the very beginning, I think the story is being te- told so that if we were to press pause on the narrative, you have this tension, this chilling moment of Jacob, who's hiding behind the parade, now has to face a man. And, uh, and who is this man who he's struggling with? And, and so he, he can no longer hide his own face from facing the man that's going to bring up uh, a, a real struggle that Jacob is trying to avoid, right? And uh, so I think even in, the, in those early verses, uh, verse 22 and on, if you press pause, you, you feel this narratival tension of, of Jacob having to wrestle with who, who am I wrestling with and ultimately having to wrestle with his own identity, his yeah. own being, his own purposes of God. Uh, but, but in this struggle in which he doesn't know he, he's struggling with a man and the text is, tells us that, which is fascinating. We, we, we don't know. It doesn't say it was an angel. It doesn't say it was a, a, a revelation of God in those early verses. What, what we see is a, a struggle of unveiling faces, like who am I wrestling with? Uh, and clearly Jacob is going to have to wrestle with himself as well. 
Oh man, that's so good. And I think it's absolutely crucial. And I mean, in many ways in the opening conversation here, we've kind of, I, I jumped ahead even a little with the God talk. That's why I said it's kind of loaded the from uh-huh. above and it's kind of getting ahead of ourselves because although we have to go there eventually, sure. I'm so glad you brought it up. I'm, I'm, I'm glad I made that error in a way because it really highlights. I, I will often tell my like high school students that I'm with when they'll, they'll read the headings and I'll be like, Oh yeah, cross that out. Or, or I'll say that's just to help you know what's there. Then you have to cross it out in your mind. And one yeah. that I cross, like literally it's literally crossed out in my Baba right here is where it says Jacob wrestles <laughs> with God. It's like spoiler alert, right? Like what, if, you know, what if, what if like the, you know, what if empire strikes back? The title of it was guess what? Bader is his father, right? It's like, you don't do that. Right. It's <laughs> just right. Jacob wrestles, right. Would be fine. Jacob wrestles. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cause, and, and even though, like you say at the beginning, there's a pause, but actually the, the narrator, right. Which is crucial because at least in, in sort of narrative interpretation, your kind of default perspective to take is the narrators, unless you have clue otherwise, right? Mm-hmm. The narrator never identifies this man with whom he wrestles as Adonai, ever. No. Yeah, it's That's only right. Jacob comes to that conclusion. I think given everything else in the story, but I mean, if you were to isolate this story alone mm-hmm. and you had no reason to think that Jacob knew what he was talking about, right? You would think, well, who says you wrestled with a man? Now there is that very key root crucial clue. And maybe we'll come back to this after the break, but with this talk of names, when he asks for the name and says, how dare you ask for my name? Basically that's our, Uh that's our strongest narrative clue from the other character that this ain't no normal man. Right. Right. Um, Absolutely. But honestly, I mean, if he's, if, if the Jabbok is, you know, it's a river that flows into the Jordan. It's on the east side of the Jordan, which means it would be once you cross the Jabbok, you'd be entering into Edom, Esau's territory. There's every reason to believe that further up the river to the east, a local person would know where there's a good fjord, right? Or a good, a good, not fjords. That's a Norwegian thing. What, what's a, just a ford river, right? Ford of the river. No, no J. <laughs> ford. A good place to cross. And it's, I don't know, I immediately, when I try to enter this story without any baggage, it's hard for me not to think that he's going to think this is Esau, especially because you even have brothers wrestling, you know, just like they were in the womb, right? Sure. So, and even though it turns out to not be Esau, it's uh, in some sense, he, in spirit, he is wrestling with Esau here. He is kind of having this final mono mono with his brother. And it comes out in asking the stranger to bless him. Like what a weird thing to ask a stranger, mm-hmm. you know, like, Hey, right. bless me. Like what? But you can tell after, like you said, all of this blessing. And yet because he's trying to bless himself, he still can't see all these blessings as blessings yet. He still is begging for the blessing. Right. 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 That's good. That's really good. No, but you're dead I, right. I, it, the, the, the ambiguity is, and the mystery of the story is essential to it, you know, and we shouldn't erase that by just saying, hey, he wrestles with God. Well, our angel, it's, it's not clear. It's very intentionally mysterious. And, and I, th- I think the language of the man wrestling with, with a man uh, uh, raises a lot of questions in, in terms of here's, here's another ish. Right, and it, it just kind of brings us. Uh, it, it, it does not give away right away 
what kind of man is this? And I think you brought a really great point. It really is bringing it down to, to the exchange of, well, what's your name? Uh, well, my name is Jacob, but what is your name? And then you have no answer. <laughs> like, so he, he, here's an exchange of petitions for names, uh, which are extremely important, of course, in, in, in Genesis because in a sense this is the unveiling of the of the, the beings right this is this is a, a way of unmasking uh, behind the name jacob it, it's not just the name it, it is who he's been who's it, it encapsulates his entire story struggle uh, and we see the hand of god even choosing uh, from the very beginning choosing uh, jacob uh, but in his worked out live he's he's been struggling he's been fleeing he's been taking advantage he's 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 having to wrestle in this question with himself as well so i I think he wrestles with his circumstances Um, and i think it is important john that he finds himself in a geographical place of transition yeah that in many ways and you see that in the old testament often that being landed it's part of of the blessing of God. He places people in the land and He blesses them, and that means prosperity. Uh, probably not in the in the way that we visualize it today, but it, it, it means that your relationships and your relationship with the land will 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 be prosperous. But in many ways, the journey of Jacob has been one of displacement and trying to find his way. And, and there's an echo in those stories. Moses has to find himself in, in, in those journeys of displacement to discover that Yahweh is not just Lord of a particular land, that he truly is Lord of all, that, that he is not a localized uh, tribal God that when he says that he is the God of the ancestors of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he's always been uh, the God on the way, the God on the Mm -hmm. walk with me, and I will show you, walk with me, and I will bless you. Uh, And and in many cases, I feel that this exchange of names um, puts Jacob in a position where he has to unveil who this otherness is, but in doing so, he has to unveil himself fully who he truly is. So much so that this God of the of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob is becoming his own God, right? He's not just the God of the ancestors. He's not just the word that was spoken. Uh, he's coming to wrestle uh, himself with his own existence and with the one that is calling him and bringing him and will walk with him uh, to bring him to a place of blessing. Oh man, that's, that's so good. That's so good. In displacement, in transition, the land is a blessing and yet the Lord is not uh, reducible to being the Lord of one land, but is with his people. Yeah. And the land's a gift, not the point, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Wow. That's really good. Well, speaking of transition, let's take a quick break and come back and keep digging. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, Luigi Peñaranda. 
a good dear friend of mine and one of my favorite exegetes, and we're gathered together again. He's been on the show a number of times, and we're looking at Genesis chapter 32, verses uh, 22 through the end of the chapter. So I want to zoom in our attention for a little bit, if you're willing, Luigi, and get your get your thoughts on this uh, this little moment, just to sort of zoom in for a little moment. So we talked about mysteries, the mystery of who this character is. But mm-hmm. as I was taking a look here, I noticed another sort of oddity. Um, so Jacob's left alone. And so the verse, this, I'm looking at verse 24 here. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. So let's just pause right there and notice that, you know, 24B is all night, right? So then the whole, the whole, the whole narrative takes place in that moment right before the sun rises, as it were. Yep. So it's relevant then that the sun is rising over him as he walks away limping, which is such a great scene. But that's not what I want to talk about. Well, we can talk about that later too. But 25, interestingly, most translations that I can find specify the characters in 25, but they're just masculine pronouns in the original. So you actually don't know who it is. Again, it's just like the heading saying Jacob wrestles with God. Okay, by the end, you see that, right? Well, even in 25, we can figure out who's who eventually, but watch how it plays out. Maybe you've noticed this before, but this is kind of new to me. 25, when he, which he, it's not clear. When he saw that he did not prevail, we'll hear that word again, prevail against him, then he touched the socket of his hip. And these are both masculine pronouns. There's no way to differentiate who's who. And it was out of joint, the socket of the hip of Jacob. So it's not until almost the end of the verse 25 that you get that it's Jacob's hip. And then your mind has to go back and fill in the antecedents to those pronouns. Right. Isn't that crazy? Maybe you already noticed this. I, like that's got to be on purpose because nor, you know that would be confusing storytelling, right? I mean, even when I'm helping my kids when they're writing a, a short a story for school, sometimes I will say, "Ooh, I lost the I lost the antecedent of this pronoun," and then they'll say, "What does that mean?" And I'll remind them that they don't they don't <laughs> learn they don't learn they learn grammar they don't learn the the, the terminology the way that at least I did as a kid, but uh, they. You know, and I'll explain what that means, right? You got to make sure you don't just say he, 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 he. You got to occasionally say who's talking, right? right? Now you can't just say (laughs) Jacob said, the man said, Jacob said, that gets boring too. So there's kind of a balance in storytelling. And this is, this is, I think, a cross-cultural reality because I've seen, I know enough languages to know that there's always a struggle between, you know, and when you have a gendered pronoun, that can do a lot of work for you. If you got a he Mm -hmm. and a she, um, Mm -hmm. and even objects, of course, in most languages, unlike English, even a, a thing is going to be a she or a he, and that can help you not lose track of the the antecedent. But here, I feel as though the storyteller, because this is so well-crafted, mm-hmm. when Absolutely. there's what would seem like a mistake, if I was thinking of this as a kid's story that I would offer suggestions to if I was a third grade teacher, it's so well-crafted that is not, I would not make the correction. I think it's on purpose to create this ambiguity for a, just for a beat or two, who is it? Who's winning this wrestling match, <laughs> which almost pulls you into the story because you almost, if you see two people wrestling, you, you don't know who has the upper hand, you know, you could be on the bottom, but still have the power hold 
a grab, you know, you know, so it's not that you're all, it almost sucks you into the story of just the confusion of a wrestling match. You know? Yes. That's my initial impression. I wanted to hear you comment or riff on that. Cause you know, <laughs> yeah, no, that, that is definitely very interesting. And there are many stories where this becomes a problem in, in that uh, the pronoun does not show with clarity. Uh, who are we talking about? Uh, but I think you're absolutely right. I think this is part of, of the way the story is being told. And, and of course, we, we love to pay attention to, to, to that because the story comes to us in, in writing. Um, mm. So we, we, we need to wrestle with that. In, in many ways, that's why um, I think it's important as we read to, to kind of hang with the story and, and press pause if you were a video that we're watching uh, and, and let your imagination feel like what's going to happen next, what's going to happen mm. next. Uh, because I think you're absolutely right. It, it, it gives this ambiguity in which now you enter into, into the wrestling of Jacob with, with the man. And, and the only things that, that become very evident are the exchanges of, uh, of what is your name uh, and then the same question is being asked by the other party and, 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 and we see that kind of back and forth I don't know I think it's part of the way that the story is being told I think there's an intentionality too because I do think there, there's a bit of an if, if I use uh, indulge me in using the, the, the theological word, there's a little bit of an apocalypsis, yeah, a, a little bit of an unveiling. So in this confusion of identities, there's going to be a true unveiling on the one hand uh, that God has been there, but but on the other hand, there's a little bit of this unveiling that. Jacob, who at the end walks away uh, limping, uh, afflicted, if you will, the reality is his his pain, his struggle led him to a place where he actually walks away blessed. And what he recognizes is not his his struggling condition any longer, but he walks away from this wrestling understanding. I've I've been in the presence. I've I've had an apocalypsis, the unveiling of this man who remains nameless was really my encounter face-to-face with God. So I, I love it. I love it that you have this moment of uncertainty. The language doesn't clarify many things. But if you just listen to the story play out, then you have these contradictions. The, 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 the wounded one, if you will, is mm. being healed. <laughs> the, the, the struggling one is being blessed. The one that now uh, has the evidence of, of uh, a limitation, if you will, has been blessed by the limitless one. And I think it's just a beautiful way of, of hearing the story. And it reminds us too that, that in many ways, reading these stories, um, we should take the posture of the listener, right? The, mm. the understanding the orality. And I, th- I think there's, there's some of that that is intentional so that as you hear the story, your imagination runs really wild. And when you see the, uh, the, the conclusion of this passage, it's, it's almost a story that even when you know what's going to happen, 
the tension that's been created in the middle gives you this sense of like, oh man, what an ending, what a way of bringing the story to a closure, right? Oh man, it's so good. I, I love that you call it an apocalypsis. I mean, it is very apocalyptic to, to have a, as it were, a, a veiled unveiling, right? Like mm-hmm. something's being unveiled by way of something very mysterious, right? It's in a dream or it's, it's just a man, right? And yeah. he even references, let me go because the day is about to break as if it's like, I don't want you to really see my face. Kind of there's a, there's a hiding even in the revealing, That's right? right? A concealing and a revealing uh, interplaying with one another. And so that's the kind of the, 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 and then that unveiling is on both sides, right? And that's what, that's why we, when we hear, I mean, modern folk, if they hear like apocalyptic, that means like stuff's blowing up and things are going bad. And that's true for, there's a reason why we think that. And that's because the unveiling, the uncovering, uh, Mm -hmm. the, the, the revealing that is an apocalypse, um, is always, and not only an unveiling of God, but an unveiling of us. It's an exposure. Right, right. An exposure yeah. of who's really in charge and exposure of who was on the right side of history. That's always the pattern, which means judgment, right? But it's judgment in the sense of crisis of, of a, you know, and we always say a crisis isn't what we call a thing, a crisis that exposes cracks that were already there, right? It's not like mm-hmm. when a, when an earthquake happens, a, a new, uh, a new crack emerged in the earth's crust, the earth, the crack was there and we built buildings on top of it. Right. And so there's a shaking of the foundations, but it's, it's always an unveiling of something that was in some sense that's being exposed. Right. That's right. And so this apocalyptic right. pattern, which, you know, you and I study with new Testament stuff, you see it in, in the way revelation and crisis are and judgment are connected in John or in Paul and the beautiful thing is just the very embodied way that this plays out, as you mentioned, right at the end of the story, is to be blessed but wounded. That combination, because the exposure is, is itself salvation, right? It, judgment doesn't always just mean the bad guys go in the bad place. It sometimes means uh, the burning away of, of the evil that still clings to those who God has chosen, uh, and wishes to transform. And you almost get that sense of him limping. And if anyone was watching, they'd be like, this guy had a rough night. But he, <laughs> I feel like he has his head lifted high. Like he's, yeah. I feel like his, not his head, his shoulders. I feel like there's been a weight has been taken off of him. So even though he's limping, he is, he's almost, he, he, the rest of his posture is, is of a lightened load. Right. Mm -hmm. Because he, he's finally now received the blessing that he's been trying to manipulate and get for himself for 20 plus years. He's received it because that's where, I mean, that's the the moment that ends as he says, and it's tied in, you know, Oh yeah. yeah, Okay. I'll bless you. Cause I want to, you know, I love the dialogue. There's, there's, there's seven words uh, or seven phrases, right? Let me go again. We don't know who's asking Mm -hmm. um, right away, but it becomes clear. Um, Let me go because the, the sun is coming up, but Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? Which at first, again, doing your trick of just pause, what would you imagine at that moment? It's like, okay, he's, he can't prevail against him. So he's willing to pronounce a blessing to let him go. And this could be on a mundane level, you know, just say a blessing and let's get this over with. Right. And uh-huh. say uncle basically. <laughs> um, <laughs> but of course a blessing, you would always put a name in a blessing. 
you would say, you know, you think of the blessings at the end of Genesis and they're always like, to you, Issachar, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like, okay, I've got, a, I've got a blessing memorized. I'll stick your name in the front of it. And he says, Jacob, and it's a great little trick because he asked him for his name, but actually like, nope, you will no longer be called Jacob. But Israel, it's so funny. It's like, you asked me my name and then told me that you don't need it. Yes. Almost as if Jacob is sort of releasing his name to him. The moment he said it, it's like he's lost all his power that he had over him. And he says, now is your new name. You have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, well, what's your name? So I can know who just named me. <laughs> Why do you ask yes. my name? And there he blessed him. And, it, and we don't get the blessing. Is it just a gesture? Is it a word? Is it a saying? Is it, does he repeat the blessing that he already gave him? Mm-hmm. When they encountered in 20, we have no idea. So it's this other mystery that I, I'd never noticed before till today is that he blesses him, but we don't get the content of the blessing. Um, and in a way, apparently for us as the hearers, we don't need to know. All we need to know is he's received the blessing yes. and he's yes. received a new name. Yeah. So yeah, I almost want to think it's a new name, but it's the same old blessing. He's, it's like, it's almost as if he doesn't need to hear any new, he needs a new identity. He doesn't need to know any, I mean, he's, he's as blessed as you can get already, man. Like right. he doesn't need any more, you know, uh, mundane blessings. He needs this, this supernatural, mysterious blessing of being given a new name, you know? Yeah, absolutely. That's excellent, John. It, it reminded me of... You're so affirming. I, I love doing podcasts with you because... <laughs> I say stuff, you go, that's wonderful. And you say stuff, and I go, oh, that's so good, Luigi. We're so, we're so affirming. It must be our, our love language. Words that's about. right. <laughs> I'm sorry, I cut you off. <laughs> our civilized uh, talking to you. Uh, I, hear the, I hear the echoes of all the blessings that have already taken place in Genesis, right? From the very beginning, you have the, 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 the Elohim who blesses his creation and the Elohim that appears to uh, Abraham and blesses him and says that the blessing is for him and for all the descendants. And so, so uh, what you were doing earlier, just kind of stepping back and now seeing that narrative from, from the echoes of what God is up to, it's incredible to see this moment in which, um, in which Jacob enters into the understanding of the blessing of God that that is is conditioned solely on who he is and the question remains well so who are you what is your name and this is a quite an important question it will be through the Pentateuch Uh, Moses will ask the same question Mm. Uh, like when the people Ooh, when gets I tell an answer, people, kind of a kind of non-answer answer, right? <laughs> sure, exactly. That's, <laughs> oh, that's a very a God way of, of of answering, right? When and it's kind of what he me, does here. He's like, "Yeah, I'll bless you. I just changed your name. I think you." And I told you I won't tell you my name, and I just gave you a blessing. We all kind of yes. know who just talked to you, you know. <laughs> and the moment that you hear no name, but the name, you know, we're talking about the name, right? That, of who he is, right? And the, the one who is with you and will bless you. Uh, in, in the case of Moses, you'll, you'll hear that language, the I am that I am and I will be with you, right? And, and you have all these this overtones in the larger narrative. And I, I love that. I love that 
Jacob has to acknowledge, say his name. And, and in that, uh, I love your correction on the apocalypse, in that he's unveiling himself. And uh, I know some people try to read the psychology of Jacob, but I think, I think what, what, what's going on is more of a sociology of Jacob, uh, who he's been uh, as the product of a blessing that God is passing on, but who will, who he will become through Israel uh, is, is going to be something that God is about to do. And in asking him, well, then who are you? It's like, all you need to know is I am the name, <laughs> mm. right? The, the, the one that remains nameless still hiding has revealed himself. And I love that paradox at the end, um, uh, the language of face to face and, and, yeah. and naming this, this, this place, uh, the, the, the place of the face of God, Peniel, right? Um, I, I love that because even from Genesis, and this is a very Hebrew way of talking uh, today, we, we use the word presence and often the Bible translates this word face as presence, uh, mm. but it is actually face, and, and, yeah. and it is it's trying to show that even from the garden, when Adam and Eve were hiding, they were hiding from God's face, is yes. literally what it's saying. Mm. And here you have uh, Jacob, who knows not the name of the man, uh, but has seen the face of God. And, and in that tension, that paradigm of struggling, uh, he has a realization that the, the veil has been removed. He has seen God. Uh, and what is all striking to him is that he's still alive. Yeah. <laughs> that you could live through this encounter uh, with, with, with the living God. Uh, and later in and, Exodus, and you'll have away. one in the same chapter will say, no one can see God and live. And then in that same chapter, it says that Moses talked to God face to face as does a friend. And it's like this, that paradox is just built in and it's, it's already hinted at here. I've seen God face to face yet. I, my life has been delivered. Right. It seems to imply that he already kind of knows like that shouldn't have gone well. Uh, <laughs> um, yes. And and that face language, which you've been using all throughout our conversation, and I noticed there's a use of face even back in verse 20, that he wishes to appease the face of Esau. That's right. Um, Very important. Because the face is the symbol. It's the intimacy face to face, but face is also the language for anger, right? The the, 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 the face gets red, that kind of stuff. That's in our language. But it, the, it, the no, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the nose gets hot, right? Uh-huh. Which is yes. Which is the language for anger and the notion that it's his face that will tell me if I am being welcomed or if I'm in danger, you know? That's right. And apparently he's trying to appease Esau, but deep down inside, you know, he's trying to appease God and he has encountered God and God didn't kill him. So apparently God is pleased with him <laughs> or at least neutral. <laughs> well, no, it's not about pleased and neutral. It's about chosen. He's chosen him despite himself. That's right. Yes. He God is with him in in the displacement in Mm -hmm. in in all the struggles of wrestling with who he really is as well. He finds himself uh, with with God in 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 his presence. I think the 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 word uh, face also is used earlier. Of course, is translated as he he sent ahead. 
the, the parade and he's, he's put his family ahead, his gifts ahead. And it, it really is saying it's, it's, it, those are the face. And I, I wonder if there's, there's some, some, uh, some play here in that he's parading his way back to Esau and he's, he's, he's created a mask, if you will, faces ahead of him. And, ah. and at some moment he has to have an encounter with God who, who will remove all masks and, and all of this situation. And, and he, he will, he will have a, an encounter with God, which make, makes me think a little sometimes in, in our modern Christian way of talking, we love talking about knowing God. I want to know God. Um, and it's a very, very Western way of saying so, because I want to know, I read the scripture, mm. I, I enter into this cognitive search for God. But I see here, John, some of the echoes of the knowing of God as, a, as an experience, as having yeah. to, to encounter something that is not it's not just a cognitive transformation. Uh, it's not some sort of uh, 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 apology that has been overcome in my mind so that I can have an encounter with God. It's, it truly is a moment where Jacob has to uh, unveil himself, wrestle with, the, with who he is and who he will be, uh, and really have an experiential encounter in the middle of the night with the one that remains nameless, but yet Jacob knows he's been with God uh, because he, he walks away wounded, but blessed. And, mm-hmm. and there, there's all these overtones, uh, almost paradoxical overtones, but I, I think it is intentional to, to show us um, he's having the opportunity to experience God, to get to know the God who was the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and is is becoming, if you will, the ever-present God of Jacob, who will be faithful to the promises to Jacob, to Isaac, to Abraham, and from the beginning. So it's a spin on he he's. He's the central character. Jacob is a central character, uh, but but behind all of it, uh, the name is the central character yeah. behind this story. <laughs> oh, that's good. Well, that sets us up great uh, for some sermon stars. Let's take a quick break and then come back and explore where we might go with this. We're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with Luigi Peñaranda. And we're looking at Genesis 32, verses 22 through 32. Let's explore some, some sermon starters. I've got, a, I've got a, a thought that I'll pitch at you. Um, of a, this, this, it was riffing off what you just said there. Of What does it mean, a, a sermon that may be focused in on, you know, Seeing God face to face or encountering God could maybe be a good word mm-hmm. for it. I, 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 I especially because in the New Testament, they use these Greek words for knowing, um, but a strong preference for gnosko, which is the one that's used in the Septuagint to translate the euphemistic knowing of mm-hmm. sexual intercourse between a man and a woman, you know, and they knew each other, right? <laughs> um, and I think the New Testament, though, it uses these Greek terms, uh, 
goes out of its way to try to keep the knowing as a as an intimate encounter, right? I sure. Mean, so I mean, you know, John seventeen verse three says, "This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent." Now that if we import into that word know know about have cognitive concepts, right? That's mm-hmm. a pretty paltry definition of eternal life, right? Uh, but if it if it means intimacy, right? Uh, genuine deep encounter, right? That is the substance of eternal life, you know? And so I was inspired by, by what you said. I, I couldn't help but think of in German, they have two different words for no, and w- you would never use wissen to talk about knowing a person, mm. right? It would be an insult to say, I wissen that person, right? You would always say kennen, Kennen is to know a person. Wissen is to know stuff. And that's the root word for science, Wissenschaft, right? Mm-hmm. So the, some languages have this distinction. I think some of it is not just a, it's not just a Western thing. I think it's partially a, an English thing where, where like the word no is just so reductively cognitive. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And, and yeah. Yeah. I know, I know both French and German. I imagine Spanish as well might have terminology that's a little you know you could pick a better verb you know i don't know you you tell me but yeah yeah no and i and i think i'm glad you make those distinctions uh i i think in many ways uh i was thinking of the the rationalistic uh, inheritance that we yeah. have that we approach some of these texts and the terminology with with more of that uh cognitive awareness um, and it's totally western i just think it's extra bad for english people yes <laughs> don't you think like it's just oh i agree i agree and, <laughs> but i'm glad you bring up the, the new testament and their their strong effort uh to make sure that when we talk about knowledge of god you have to enter paul says it in uh, uh yeah in uh, uh philippians 3 to, to know him is to enter into a fellowship of suffering with him, right? There, there's there's a, a knowing that comes in entering in the exchange of the struggle. And I'm, I'm borrowing some of that language. And the New Testament, of course, it uses prosopon, uh, face, uh, uh, often. Uh, and even face-to-face uh, and, face in 1 Corinthians 13. And we'll, yeah, we'll say that, that, in fact, right now we see through these cloudy, hazy <laughs> uh, world, but we will see clearly when we see him face to face, right? Face. So you and, are know, and we'll know as we are known. And so there's that word gnosko, epigonosko there, but. I think that's a very uh, Semitic yeah. Jewish way of approaching the, the theology. And I think obviously you, you see it in, in Paul and, and Jesus um, and I think seeing the transformations of the face in the text, that would be a, a great exegesis. Yeah. How, how uh, the face is so important in our understanding of knowing. So, but going back to this, this uh, passage uh, and thinking about uh, starting some sermons, of course, we, as we record right now, we're in the middle of riots all over the United mm-hmm. States because of uh, the killings, of African-Americans by police force. And I wonder, John, it it makes me think when I think about this passage and sermons, to what degree uh, Jacob and all that entails 
his life, who he is, his people, his family, his relationships, looking at a, at a larger scale, he needs to do some unveiling of himself in this struggle mm. to be able to unveil who God truly is. And, uh, and uh, one of the, the things that I would do as a sermon starter would be um, to what degree we as individuals and as peoples, as communities, can, can end up masking ourselves with traditions and ways of finding blessings for ourselves and protecting ourselves uh, and never get to the struggle of unveiling uh, our family heritage, our histories, our relationship with the land, uh, our, our, our systems that, that have, have sought to bring blessing to ourselves uh, at the expense of others, perhaps. And yeah. so I, I would try to bring this passage to a, an idea of uh, unveiling and rediscovering, I think, for communities. Uh, he's about to encounter uh, Esau. He's about to re-enter into the struggle that he had before. But, but now he, he will face that struggle differently because he's been unveiled of his uh, past struggle and has been free to be this new Israel uh, with whom God will be uh, present all the time. Um, and I don't know, I would love to use some of those themes in, in a sermon and, and just kind of saying it, it is a moment for us to struggle with God and to have that unveiling of, of who he is in relationship with us and, and to bring us to a place that some of the things that ap- apparently wound us end up mm. being the greatest blessings uh, yeah. of knowing God. So I would use some of those those themes to begin to craft a, a sermon. Yeah, yeah. So there's the face theme, the name theme, mm-hmm. these identity themes. But now I'm, su- I'm starting to wonder if uh, you and I came to this earlier, but this could be a, a maybe sermon sermon title even, uh, like blessed but wounded or mm-hmm. the, the wound of blessing or, or something, some, some play on those words mm-hmm. because when we're really exposed before God, you know, and really come face to face with ourselves, even as we do with God, um, you know, in a time of crisis, when, when, we, when we have that sort of moment of recognizing, for example, uh, you know, my own privilege, right? The kind of privilege I have. When that is being, even if it's being thrown at me uh, in a hurtful way, you know, and so that it wounds, right? Um, there is... Uh, wisdom and hope and healing in in receiving it anyway, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, when when someone else calls me out, I my my nose gets hot. I want to turn my face and defend myself, right? And put up put up the masks, put up the parade of power, put up the parade of possessions and privilege and what I have to suggest that either it doesn't apply to me or if it, or if what you're saying does apply to me, well, screw you anyway, cause I'm going to win. And what does it mean to 
allow that moment. And again, it's not a sort of self-righteous act. It's not like it says, and Jacob sent them all so that he could have a little retreat with God, right? I mean, this is not a pleasant chosen event, but it's when, when, you know, when I'm exposed, right? Whether that's called out by a friend for my behavior, whether it's someone close or someone I don't know well at all has, has, has identified either a character flaw or if it's not a character flaw, just complicity and the fact that I'm being blessed at the expense of others who are cursed and I don't even see how much I'm contributing to their curse. When that, you know, when I'm, when I'm exposed, uh, when I let it in, uh, there's, there's great blessing that comes in there, right? Mm-hmm. A whole new identity begins to be formed. Uh, an identity that's dependent on the gift of God rather than uh, some kind of illusion that I am independent and have achieved everything that I have, you know, but rather I stand under the blessing of God and God alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. May, maybe my little riff there didn't click with where you were going, but that that's kind of how it started playing out for me is what does it sure. mean to, to, to welcome in the, the wounding criticism. I, I mean, I just know for me as a, as a, you know, white man in this time, how there's just, there's wounding truths coming my direction, you know, and the temptation to wall up versus to let it in, you know, um, and to really wrestle with God and really ask like, what's the truth, you know, what's true here. And, um, how can I walk different? And if I'm limping a little, it's worth it because a because a because a weight has been been lifted, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would use the the language I think in in bringing it to our our reality today. I think we do a lot of defacing, hmm. um, and what I mean by that is we have a tendency to remove the face from the issues. Uh, I think so, something that I that I see in this struggle, which we may miss, is uh, when Jacob is being asked, "What's your name?" is not a question about um, just simply uh, identify yourself, uh, and and it's not just so that we know that this is Jacob. We we already know that the way is being narrated. Uh, this is a question being asked to Jacob so that he can name uh, himself, if you will, uh, and in a sense be unveiled, be seen in the light of what the whole story has been telling yeah, us about as the Jacob. Sun's coming up, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so in 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 many aspects, uh, Jacob, uh, like you said. Uh, he, he's been covering his butt. He's sending the parade. He has other faces that he uses. And his story is fascinating because, because uh, he works the system for his benefit. God is with him. Uh, but the way he is treated his wife, he's treated uh, his uh, Laban, the way he's done things uh, to really achieve something, he became prosperous. He became a someone, if you will, uh, but he needs to be kind of uh, 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 he needs to be unveiled 
And that yeah. is when he says, I am Jacob. And of course, we know Jacob, the meaning is he's a deceiver. Uh, but the embodiment of what that means is, is, is your entire life has been built around these other masks, is, if you will. But when you have this encounter with God, Jacob is unveiled himself, but he has to be unveiled uh, because then all of a sudden he's he's seeing the face of God. And I, I think in, in issues like the ones that we are living to, John, um, we we tend to name the problems without the faces. Um, <laughs> so it is a lot easier to talk about, uh, the media does it all the time, uh, a black man was killed right and mm-hmm. and and you have a naming without a face and i think one of the important demonstrations is how important is the naming with the face do not deface yeah. we need to bring the face to the issue and it is in in facing each other because otherwise in in, in our reality we we have issues that we present without faces uh, immigration is an issue but it is so easy to to deface it and remove it from the realities that people have to deal with. And I think one of the, the amazing things about an encounter with, with God is that in a weird way, he unveils us first. He forces us to name ourselves yeah. first, to begin to remove layers and layers of historical layers, if you will, in the case of Jacob, of, of, uh, uh, all these masks that he has to wear to be able to operate. And finally, he's completely vulnerable, like you said. Uh, very very much uh, like any encounter with God just kind of leaves you completely exposed and vulnerable. In a sense, wounded, uh, but you survived. And, 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 yeah. and, the, and the, the awe of the, the, the shock of this encounter is this realization that with the stripping of all the masks, came uh came a wound but came a, a blessing and and so i i connect with that i i think there's there's something there that's quite important as individuals and as communities you know well, that's really powerful i think there's a lot there's a lot to get a sermon <laughs> started on there it's beautiful yeah. i loved yeah. your language of defacing especially as it links back i mean i'm i'm i i'm hearing the there's two sides to it there's the habit that i or others might have to deface um to turn people and their suffering into issues right and concepts like the great line you know immigration is an issue immigrants are people right so (laughs) the the love of people is non-negotiable we can debate how the issue might be best served there that there should be some forbearance and patience with one another and civility on the issue. Um, but there's not, there's not two sides to the issue of immigrants. <laughs> there can be, and there's not just two sides to any issue, right? There can be lots of sides to an issue, but to a person um, is non-negotiable. And so that's the defacing. And then it hit me when we were talking earlier about being exposed for, especially for those of us in power to whatever extent that is often what is unveiling me, I experience as a defacing 
in the, in the sense of defacing as an insult, which I know you were kind of doing a, a double sure. defacing. Yeah. That was clever. I like it. Um, I feel as though when someone exposes something true about when something stings, you know, I got called out for something not that long ago, very specific. And it stung because it was true. Do you know what I mean? Where there was a really big old grain of truth in it, right? Mm-hmm. It wouldn't have stung so much if it was just baloney, right? But it stung because there was something true about it. And it, to me, it felt like a defacing. I was being insulted and which made me want to defend myself, you know, right. and put up, put the masks on. And what's actually happening when my mask is being removed, I'm actually being refaced, not defaced, right? Um, but, you know, I have so many layers on that I've come to believe that my masks are my face, you know, and that's why the exposure and the initial exposure is already there when he sends his whole family across the water. He's, he's kind of unintentionally opened himself up for a refacing. Mm-hmm. I'm loving the, uh, you, you and I, you know, you, you have a poetic sensibility. And so the, the kind of sermons that we often uh, suggest <laughs> at the end of ours are kind of like, Here's some like words to play with, you know, face, name and denaming and renaming, Mm -hmm. right. And unnaming. So I feel like naming, facing, unveiling perhaps is a triplet that could be played with and unfolded in a sermon. So again, we don't have to lay out a whole uh, sermon outline. I just, I want to affirm that I think there's a lot for our listeners to, 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 to roll with there. Well, we're just about out of time, but I, if you, I want to give you the last word, if you have a, a short thing you just wanted to slip in there before we, uh, before we sign off, uh, go for it. Um, I think the last thing I would, I would note, and if I were to teach it, I would, I would have to explore this point. I'm not 100% sure. But you could have read this story as he was going to go encounter Esau, and then the next morning he went and encountered Esau. Um, but I think that the, the, the way it's written, it kind of shows you the, the crucial encounter that Jacob needs to have hmm. with with uh, with God and encounter face to face. But that did not remove the reality that he had ah. to face the next morning. Uh, yeah, I talked to God. Uh, now I don't have to talk to Esau. <laughs> right. <laughs> nice. Oh, good insight, Luigi. Yeah. I think that that in in, in any case. He's being transformed. He is Israel in the eyes of God. And, and that has so many repercussions for the rest of the history of Israel. Um, but, but he has to come back. And, and when he encounters Esau, Esau is going to look at Jacob. He right. cannot see Israel. Um, yet it does seem to me, and again, I think. And the narrator exegetes Jacob. So that would be absolutely a, that would be an absolutely grounding of that insight, yeah. Uh, uh, but I think I think now that he's finally going to encounter Esau, that the problem was not removed. The reality that he was facing was not removed, but something has been changed. And uh, of course, he's saying the parade. But it is interesting that in the next chapter, he arranges his family, but then he goes in front. Mm-hmm. Uh, the same word phase, by the way. And, yep. and then bows down seven times. And it seems to me that he, he can approach the same problem that he was approaching uh, with a different understanding, if you will, of the self, even though in, in light of all the context, he's still 
Jacob and he's still wrestling with uh, who he is. But something has changed. And I think, and, and then he's going to be surprised when he sees that Esau is going to welcome him in a way that he never expected. Mm-hmm. He couldn't have orchestrated it. He's going to see that an encounter with God has, has changed everything, even if it doesn't look like things have changed from the perspective of the others. Uh, so uh, part of me in, in what we're talking, John, I think, I think it is the time where we need to reface God, uh, let him remove some of our masks, uh, and in that encounter, have a moment where we get to know him face to face, accept some of the wounding that will transform things. But it, th- there is a, a wounding that comes with a blessing, and I think that is important. I think that's part of removing masks and dismantling power structures and allowing the righteousness of God to, to take place. So that's kind of how I would ra- wrap up that thought. Yeah. And yeah, thanks for adding that, that, that this, that's crucial then to prepare us for the facing of one another. And we don't get, we don't get a get out of jail free card where with the, the chaos that we've sown uh, reconciliation with God is not an excuse to pursue, not pursue reconciliation with others. And yet reconciliation with others is, um, well, we can take that risk more freely and let it go either way. That's right. When, when that reconciliation with God has, has encountered. So thank you so much for the time you've given. And we've, we've stayed a long time and I had a blast learning and I've kept you long and I, I owe you big time. <laughs> oh, I appreciate it. Appreciate thank your work. John. I'll say as we're yep. wrapping up, just a big thanks to Todd and Eric for all their production work. I can't imagine doing this without them. Thanks to Tom and uh, Adamson for donating the theme music. And thanks to all you listeners uh, for chiming in week in and week out. Uh, feel free to pass it along to others when we get the chance. And with that said, uh, we say have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.